everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Movies. This is episode five, and we're doing a film today that I hadn't really planned. It wasn't on my radar screen when I started this podcast, uh, and and being um, this being only episode five, you can imagine that I already had in mind a lot of the movies that I've covered through the first four episodes, and I have several more that before I even started the podcast, I was thinking of doing. But um, on December 22nd, uh, uh, right before my first multiple day <laughs> vacation from my retail business that I um, started earlier in the year, uh, I was sitting around saying, I want to watch a movie. I need something that looks like some fun. I, I tend to like uh, film noir and neo-noir, uh, especially neo-noir. I kind of like neo-noir better than the original film noir, to be honest with you. And uh, then I saw this movie that the title was The Ghost Rider. And uh, this one I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to watch this, whether it's it's good or, or not. Uh, turned out to be a very entertaining movie, but... Uh, for those of you who don't know from maybe my other podcast or just following me on social media, I actually have been a ghostwriter for uh, the past, what is it now, eight years. Since 2015, I've ghostwritten several um, nonfiction books for very high-profile clients. Um, just to give you an idea, I think one, two, three... Something like five have been in the top ten on the New York Times bestseller list. Two actually hit number one. Of course, I'm not taking all the credit for that, but there it is. And uh, unlike in the movie, I've, I've never written for a head of state, obviously, not never a president or a prime minister or a king, but uh, I have written for some very high-profile, nationally-known people uh, whose you know, you would immediately recognize if I mentioned their names. And of course, I'm not going to. Um, and by the way, who uh, I've had a very good experience with everybody I've written for. Um, and I'm not just saying that in case they're listening, because they're probably not. Um, but uh, very good people. You know, I write about politics and I haven't always agreed with uh, everything that I've written for other people. Um uh, there's always been a lot of overlap, but uh, definitely uh, places where we depart. But my job, of course, was to write their book and uh, to write it the best I could in their voice. And, of course, the authors to these books contributed a lot of the content. So I thought that I would do two things with this movie. Number one, I can tell you firsthand which parts of it seemed authentic to me Uh and I don't know if the author of the novel that this is based on was also has done some ghostwriting. A lot of novelists do do ghostwriting uh, on the side for um, for clients. And then, of course, which parts of it didn't seem familiar to me. So um, you'll have to excuse me if I seem distracted uh, at any time in this podcast. I don't think it comes through on the recording. But I have my rooster outside the window, which I have not heard from all day. And, of course, parked himself there and is crowing as I speak right now um, while I'm trying to record this podcast. So if, if I get confused or tongue-tied at any point, I'm going to blame the rooster. Um, 
there he goes again. If you can hear him, he just crowed again. So let's get to the official particulars of this one. We're talking about the film uh, called The Ghost Rider, and Ghost Rider is two separate words. It was uh, released in 2010. Uh, it is, uh, the screenplay was adapted from a novel by a gentleman named Robert Harris. I did not read the novel. I'm not familiar with the writer. Uh, but the screenplay itself was written by Roman Polanski the director of the film. So this is not a minor film that's just uh, kind of knocked off. This is a, uh, a major release. I, I wasn't aware of it, but, you know, I'm not aware of a lot of things that go on in popular culture, um, especially for the last three years after I canceled cable and protest over uh, the uh, crime against humanity, otherwise known as the COVID-19 response by the government uh, and its accomplices in the media. So, um, you know, this is based on a, a novel called The Ghost, and it stars Ewan McGregor, Pierce Brosnan. He plays the prime minister. Kim Cattrall, just steamy, fabulous as always. Olivia Williams, Tom Wilkinson, excellent as always. Timothy Hutton in a small part as uh, uh, the prime minister's lawyer. And uh, a, a really good uh, uh, supporting cast. Eli Wallach makes an appearance in this. Uh, I think he's since passed away. Let me take a look. I thought he passed away not long ago. Well, I guess it was 2014. He was almost a hundred, but uh, just a fantastic actor, of course. Uh, And he's great in this for the, the, the the little bit of time that he's in it. Uh, Like a little, just breath of fresh air. Not that the movie needed it at the point he appears. Um, and uh, this was d- uh, distributed by Optimum Releasing and, um, again, released in, in 2010. I don't know what the reception of the movie was or how it did at the box office. Um, and really, that's not important for our purposes here. I will give it the Tom Mullen endorsement that it was entertaining. It's a little bit of a stretch at times, as many uh, noir movies have to be. <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, I'm going to get into, you know, some of the, the, um, ghostwriting aspects as well. So, um, let's start with the opening of the movie. So again, this, this obviously in ghostwriting, you don't usually end up in some international political intrigue where people are trying to kill your client and you, <laughs> that never happened. But of course this is, you know, the ghostwriting part of it is just the framework for the story where they can do something that's, <clears throat> entertaining um so at the opening of the movie and i can't remember if it's while the credits are still running it might be but we basically see a ferry going from the mainland to an island or or back uh, i can't remember which and then you know it, it it lands at its destination and all the vehicles get off except uh one you know it doesn't move and um it's apparent there's no driver there and the guys who run the ferry have to go and direct the traffic around it. And eventually we see this vehicle get towed away. And, um, not long after we see a body wash ashore somewhere else. Um, and, uh, we're, we're led to believe that the driver of that car, of course, um, did not make it to the other side of the ferry ride that he either jumped 
or fell or was pushed off this ferry. We don't know what the circumstances of his death was. Um, but we find out pretty quickly that that this guy who died was the uh, ghostwriter for the former prime minister of England, of the United Kingdom. And his death then um, precipitates the, the main action of the film, brings our, our main character in, played by uh, um, Ewan McGregor, and um, he, he's actually not named. <laughs> he's just called the ghost. Um, and it's kind of, well, some of the humor of the film is like, you know, um, the the prime minister character, Pierce Bronson, and his name is Adam Lang. We do know his name. And he seems to be based on Tony Blair, and that would fit the time frame, seeing as this was made in 2010, and there's a lot of commentary on the war on terror, so to speak, and uh, England's, uh, the United Kingdom's support of the United States as the leader in that uh, debacle. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ewan McGregor's, um, character, you never find out what his name is. And, um, that kind of is a literary device, the ghost, which, you know, probably comes out of the novel, I would imagine. And then, uh, whenever, um, Brosnan, the prime minister speaks to him, he calls a man. And in one case, uh, McGregor's character comments on that to one of the uh, the staff, and, and it might even be the uh, prime minister's wife, and the reply is she says, well, that's what he calls people when he can't remember their name, you know? So um, so let me start the ghostwriting uh, commentary, and it kind of dovetails with the beginning of the movie. So uh, as I said before, that's my experience. Of course, it wasn't with politicians, so it would be better. Uh, the people I worked with not being politicians were eminently better people than politicians. Um, but uh, than most politicians, that goes without saying. Uh, and I was never treated like, you know, the, the, the back kitchen help, the guy didn't remember or the, or the gal. I did write for women as well. <laughs> um, didn't remember my name or anything like that. I was always treated with a lot of respect as a member of the team. And these books were very much a team effort with the author kind of steering the direction of the content. Um, the, there was always somebody from the publisher, usually like a senior editor, played a major role in keeping everything on track not only managing all the personalities, but just kind of managing the project. And, uh, of course, me there trying to put it all together into approximately 70,000 words of, um, of uh, interesting content. So um, they have a meeting at the beginning at the publishers, and Ewan McGregor's character, the ghost, I guess I'll just call him the ghost since he doesn't have a name, um, he uh, arrives at the publisher. There's like a ton of security going on. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the reason given for that is that um, it looks, by the way, I, I was also in the security business for 14 years. <laughs> not, so believe it or not, this thing has two different uh, uh, things that, um, that I can relate to, but they, it's kind of more like if you had to go into a government building, like a federal courthouse or something, that kind of security to go into a publisher, which generally when I went into the major publishers buildings, there was security there 
and you couldn't get in without a pass, but there wasn't the uh, empty your bags and go through the x-ray and all that kind of thing. So uh, um, the ghost asked, well, what's this all about? And um, the gentleman who meets him, who's like the senior editor character, but he doesn't play a big part in this movie, which is somewhat strange. Anyway, um, uh, he says, well, we're writing Adam Lang's book. This is the prime minister. And apparently just writing the book makes makes uh, is a security risk. We're publishing it, I should say, not writing it. So he uh, takes um, the ghost uh, with him. He escorts him from the lobby uh, inside security up to a room where he's going to meet with um, the major people other than the former prime minister who uh, will be involved in producing the book. So uh, the, the name on the outside of the building is Reinhardt. It's a uh, fictional um, publisher, but it's, it's you get the impression, and they're doing a, a, a prime minister's book, so it's probably one of the big six, like Simon & Schuster, and uh, I didn't write for Simon and Schuster. That's why I'm picking them. But I did write for one of the big six, the big, the six largest publishers. And uh, so I'll talk about this meeting from my perspective. Um, uh, he goes up and it seems like um, he, he meets with several people. And for the, the first one is this one who, who has brought him up, who has told him on the way that he doesn't think he's the right guy for the job. And, uh, you know, McGregor's character quips, well, I'm glad that's not going to be your decision. But, you know, in my experience, that guy would be the most influential in the decision of a writer. Um, James Belushi plays a character who seems to be a high-ranking executive at this Reinhardt. And let me tell you how uh, major publishers work. It's not like, you know, you go to Simon & Schuster they have their own imprint that says just Simon and Schuster, but they have many imprints. Imprints are kind of divisions, and um, you know they might have. I'm looking on their web page now, and I don't know what each of their imprints are for, but I see there's one named Scribner and there's one named Touchstone. Okay, so those are separate um, imprints, and you might open the book published by. You know Simon and Schuster, and it says published by Touchstone on the Touchstone imprint, and usually these mean like okay, Touchstone does political books. I don't know that this is true. I'm just rattling off an example. Scribner might do uh, children's books. They've got one named Threshold, and maybe that does um, you know uh, romance novels, etc. So you, if you go on the page of any of the major publishers, you'll find that they have a dozen or so, or maybe some of them have more imprints or divisions, and that those divisions do particular types of books for particular markets. Okay, so I wrote for a particular imprint uh, for one of these major publishers. So it was a little off-putting that he's meeting with a guy that could have been like the CEO of the whole Reinhardt Publishing. I mean... I guess if you're doing a prime minister's book, maybe not, but it's just not usually the the normal procedure. But also in the room is the prime minister's lawyer. That wouldn't be unusual. Um, Usually there would be a a literary agent in the room. And um, McGregor himself, the ghost, the ghost writer, he has his own agent who got him the job, which is kind of unusual. Like, 
I didn't have an agent. Um, I did. <laughs> well, I guess the way that I got my first job was I had an agent that was pitching my own book. And uh, this person actually got a sit down with a major publisher. And, um, you know, because I wasn't a famous name, they weren't sure how to market. They liked the writing, but they didn't know how to market my book. So uh, that's when they offered me. They said, but I do have this other job. Do you, would you be interested? And I said, well, I've never done it before. I'll give it a try. Um, that book ended up in the top five on the New York Times bestseller list. And the author was happy and everybody was happy. And the next thing I knew, I had another one and then another one and another one. That's how I got into the business. But after that, I didn't really need an agent. But usually you would deal with the author's agent. But in this case, I guess that was um, that role was fulfilled by the um, prime minister's, the former prime minister's lawyer. He's his representative there. The senior editor, as I said, is there, and uh, and the ghost is there. The ghost writer's there. So they have this meeting and they say, "Okay, we already have a manuscript." Now this is also not uncommon. I did get called into a project where. Somebody was hired, the manuscript was written, the author didn't like it, and said, it's toast, forget it, and uh, we want you to start over. And then, But you would be given access, and I was given access to that manuscript for a lot of, you know, just details, content, facts. I'm not starting, you know, at uh, I Am Born or whatever, you know, to, to learn all about this person. I could read the old manuscript. Okay, I didn't like the way it was written, but... You know, a lot of the facts are, are true, and especially if you could uh, find citations. I tended to cite everything. So a lot of my um, authors said, oh, my God, I've never seen so many footnotes. Like if there was a number or any statement of fact we were making, I would always uh, footnote it and, you know, find somewhere in a uh, respected media or um, other source where um, – you know, we would have backup and say, well, this is why I'm saying this, because you can check here. This is true. So uh, anyway, the fact that uh, there was an existing manuscript uh, is, un is um, uh, not the, the, the norm, but it, it happened to me once. And I've only been in it for, you know, seven, eight years. So um, there was that. Um, the fact that they um, had to get the book done in two months. Now, I don't know if it's funny. I did do a book. One of the number one bestsellers I wrote, I had to write in two months from scratch, no existing manuscript. And it was not fun. Let me tell you, I was a little bit younger then. Um, I wouldn't want to do it again, but we did it. Uh, and it was a big success. And it's probably the ghost written book of mine that I like the most because it was the most interesting idea for a book. And, um, Anyway, publishers call these crash books. We got a crash book. It's got to be done in da-da-da-da-da for whatever reason. This person is hot in the media right now. We need to jump on it. We need to have a book out by this person before, you know, the, move, the media moves on to somebody else. Whatever. Lots of reasons why it has to be a crash book. Uh, knowledge of other competing books that might be coming out later in the year. That's another thing that might affect that, but... That part was very familiar to me that they told him you got to write it in two months. Uh, later on in the movie, they try to make it like two, like 
<laughs> two weeks or something. That's a little un, you know, unrealistic. But uh, the initial unrealistic deadline being made even more realistic when you're halfway through the project, that's not unusual for ghostwriting. So um, because of the, the crash schedule, uh, the, the rooster seems to be like literally standing next to my window now and just crowing as hard as he can. Uh, again, I don't know if these come out, come through. Did you hear that? Uh, if it gets, if he doesn't move on soon with the, uh, with the hens, then I'll, I'll do something about it. Otherwise it provides some local color here to the podcast, Western New York, where we're going to have a very green Christmas with a high of 51 to 54 degrees. Anyway, they have this meeting uh, at the publisher, and he immediately is put on a plane to eventually end up on Martha's Vineyard, where, of course, he's going to have to take the same ferry that uh, led to the death of the um, previous ghostwriter. And let's take a moment to pause on some of the themes we've been talking about in the previous movies, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Uh He is going to cross a body of water to go to another world. I mean, for 99.9% of the population, the uh, house and grounds on Martha's Vineyard is another world from the one that the rest of us live in, Uh, especially the house uh, owned by a a former prime minister of the United Kingdom. So uh, we have that element of the hero's journey immediately. He's going to another world. I mean, to do a rather mundane thing, which is write, you know, this politician's uh, memoirs. Uh, but of course, it's it's that's not where the story is going to go. Um, and he has to cross a body of water to get there. And there's also his parallel um, in the whole Damon Adelon dichotomy, where one half has to die and the other one lives. You know, his double has died, okay? So another um, bit of the uh, hero's journey, uh, more with the Gnostic Christian part of it that we talked about, I think, in Joe versus the Volcano. So that literary device is there. So he gets to Martha's Vineyard, and he I think the first one he meets is um, the... Uh, the uh, Prime Minister's uh, secretary, um, played by uh, Kim Cattrall, who's uh, she's kind of that, you know, coldly efficient, smoking hot, beautiful, even though she's middle aged, <laughs> which only Kim Cattrall could pull, uh, pull off personal assistant. And she kind of shows him around, introduces him to the other staff that work in the, in the house, um, assisting the prime minister and then takes him to the room where the manuscript is stored. There's all kinds of security around the manuscript, and that would not that's not unusual for an important person. Um, uh, by the way, that the people that I wrote for, they all fly on private jets. Just to give you a perspective, like so that part of it I'm very familiar with. And um, you know, he's he's kind of treated a little more. Uh, condescendingly by Catral's character, her name is Amelia Bly, than by uh, anybody else there. So, um, but the treatment of McGregor 
is a little more condescending than anything I experienced. I was treated as just, you know, an equal by these very, very, very wealthy people. So that's just my two cents. Um, okay. So he gets there and soon after the story starts, the story, uh, uh, the, um, soon after he gets to Martha's vineyard and is in the house and has taken his first look at the manuscript, which is putting him to sleep because it's so boring. Uh, a story breaks on the news that one of, um, uh, Lang, the prime minister's former secretary, uh, former cabinet members, his foreign secretary, has accused him of war crimes, of uh, signing off on torture of people captured in the war on terror. So, for all of you who remember, you know, who are, were not too young from 2001 or two until, you know, well into the time this movie was. Um, produced and 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 afterwards before we got to the trump era and then corona steria and all that you know the treatment of uh prisoners in the war on terror was very much a big human rights issue and this guy is going public saying that um you know he has evidence that uh lang signed off on torturing a war on terror prisoners. And we're talking, remember waterboarding and other forms of uh, torture that, you know, eventually turned out to be true. I'll, I'll tell you, you, if you know me from, uh, from Tom Mullen talks freedom, you know, I don't, I think not a single war in my lifetime should have been fought. I don't think we benefited at all from any of these wars. Um, you know, I'm not thanking the troops for anything because I don't, whether it was their fault or not, I, I'm not going to thank someone for doing something I'd be better off if they didn't do, okay? All that said, you know, war's a, an ugly thing, and I'm not into kind of throwing the guys way down the line under the bus. Uh, there I said it, okay? Um, children get killed. Uh, civilians get killed. Uh, prisoners that you need information from get tortured. That's war, that's why you don't want to do it unless it's necessary. And my position is no war in American history was necessary after the revolution. <laughs> okay. And we could talk some other day about the ones you think that were, including the world wars. Um, but um, I mean, so, you know, the, the film kind of takes the position that if you were involved in this, including the people who did it, and of course, Adam Lang, the uh, prime minister signed off on it, that, um, that you are guilty of this great crime and you should be brought to justice. Uh, I'm certainly all in for bringing, um, you know, George Bush and Tony Blair to justice for the, at least the Iraq war. But, uh, you know, once a war gets started, believe it's, it's an ugly thing. And like I said, that's why you want to avoid them. So I'm, I'm not the Mr. Um, holier than thou on how they do it once they get out there. Right. Okay. Think Breaker Morant, A Few Good Men, which is the same story in a different time period. Uh, anyway, but the premise of the movie is that if he did sign off on this or, you know, had knowledge it was happening, that he should be tried in this international criminal court in The Hague. Okay. So that's, this is a big problem now for the, the um, person that our main character is writing the book for. 
and it's going to require a response from uh, the prime, the former prime minister, uh, Adam Lang. So, you know, they have a discussion about what they're going to do, and then um, the ghostwriter gets uh, roped into writing the statement that he's going to make, his initial statement. What's his initial reaction before, you know, he, he reacts further? And, uh, again, I, I, I was never involved in any international intrigue, but getting roped into um, writing things other than the book while you're working on the book, that's also something that kind of goes with the job. Uh, we need um, a press release. We need, um, you know, some blurb for the back cover of the book. I wrote a whole bunch of uh, uh, flap copies, too, for books that I didn't otherwise have any involvement in. Um, so that's another story. Like I used to enjoy doing that cause I treated it like sales copy. You know, it's like, I guess my job here is to get people to, to buy the book that they are reading the flap part of anyway. So a uh, lot more people that I wrote those for. So that part of it kind of hit home to me like, yeah, yeah, that's part of the job. You know, you're writing whatever they need while, while you're on the job. Uh, and then Lang decides of all the things he could do that he should stay in the United States because um, he uh, because the United States does not cooperate to extradite people to the International Criminal Court, where most of the other countries of the world do, including uh, the United Kingdom. So he's going to stay in the United States and he's going to go meet with um, kind of the the United States senior leadership uh, people, the president, and there's there's a character he appears on TV with is obviously patterned after Condoleezza Rice, um, uh, who would have been uh, the um, national security advisor for Bush. She wouldn't have been when the movie was released because Obama was already in office, but I'm not sure if this takes place maybe a few years before that. In any case... It's very much he goes to get the support on camera of the United States uh, leadership. Um, so, um, you know, that's something you can imagine would be a move a politician who's in this hot water would make. Um, and while he's gone, uh, you know, Ewan McGregor's character keeps working on the manuscript. We we as a uh, uh, Lang, the prime minister is leaving for this trip, by the way, it comes out that he's having an affair with Kim Cattrall, uh, her character, the, the secretary and the wife knows about it. So there's, it's almost kind of reminded me of primary colors a little where, um, um, Lang like orders the secretary, uh, you pack me a bag. You better pack one for yourself too. And then the wife says something like, why don't you just share a suitcase? It would be more efficient or something like that. So the wife obviously knows. And um, so so the, he goes off with the secretary and his staff, and the wife stays behind with Ewan McGregor. And then we get this whole um, intrigue with the wife, the bitter wife, um, you know, kind of coming on to Ewan McGregor while the husband is gone. Um, something, at least in my experience, never happens with the ghostwriters, but who knows? Um, but uh, so, you know, out of that conversation, I guess the important part is 
that he, you know, McGregor's still trying to work on the book. So he's asking her questions that could be pertinent to what he's writing. And he says, D- did he ask your advice? And she says, always up until recently. So that turns out to be important in the end. Um, because, um, the fact that, uh, Lang is no longer listening to her, um, turns out to be important. So, um, one thing leads to another. Uh, the wife uh, has a few glasses of wine, and she ends up, um, I mean, literally jumping. <laughs> Hugh and McGregor, first she asks if she can sleep in his bed after uh, spending like half an hour outside in the rain thinking about everything that's happening. And then, um, so they sleep together. And then McGregor wakes up the next day and says, eh, this was a bad idea. I'm going back to, you know, the hotel. He had started out the ho- in, in a hotel in town initially. Um, and uh, once the scandal broke, um, a flood of reporters just arrive at this, at this otherwise deserted hotel. He had been the only guest at this little, you know, standalone, non-chain hotel in town at uh, Martha's Vineyard. And then they tell him, look, you got to get out of there. All these reporters are coming and pretty soon they'll find out who you are. So they had brought him into the house, um, Lang's house. And now he decides he's going to go back to the hotel. The reporters have now left. You know, Lang has left the island. So the story has gone elsewhere. The reporters have gone elsewhere. And he goes back to the hotel and, um, the car that he's driving is the car that they gave the former, the previous ghostwriter to drive. And so, um, well, let, let, before we get into that part of it, um, he decides to go on a bike ride. The, I've got the story actually a little out of uh, sequence here. Before the whole sleep together thing and him leaving to go to the hotel, um, she had been soaking wet because she went outside on purpose to stand in the rain and, and think about what's going on on TV. Um, he had taken a bike ride in the rain that day to the part of the Island where, um, uh, the, um, the previous ghost writer had been found where he had washed up on shore. And one of the things he finds out, that's where he runs into the EY Wallach character, the old timer, the salt kind of guy who tells him, listen, there was no way that body could be washed this far, whatever West or South or North uh, off the ferry. So something's fishy about that. And then he tells uh, McGregor that, um, there's a woman who saw a whole bunch of um, flashlights on the beach the night they uh, found the body, um, but uh, she's now fallen down a flight of stairs and is in a coma. So there's all kinds of fishy about the the guy's death. Um, Ewan McGregor finds some um, information among the previous ghost writers' materials that indicates, uh, you know, that that the story that Adam Lang told about going into politics was completely false. So his story is that he was like an actor at Cambridge. He's doing theater. 
He didn't have any political ideas, and he fell in love with this girl, Ruth, his wife, the wife in the movie, and that she got him into politics, and um, and that uh, before he knew it, he he was running for you know offices. Um, and McGregor finds, um, I think, guess his his part his Labor Party membership a card or in other materials that indicates that uh he um that he joined the party much earlier than the book suggests or even before he met Ruth okay and where this is all going is you know what well, we'll get there in a few minutes. We're almost gonna ready to wrap this up. So, um, to make a long story short, um, he he figures out that there's something suspicious about uh, the previous ghostwriter's death. He seemed to have discovered something uh, about uh, Adam Lang, the former prime minister. That you know, you know they whoever they are <laughs> don't want anyone to know maybe it's adam lang himself maybe it's uh you know people in the british government maybe it's people in the us we don't know but somebody seems to possibly have had the previous ghostwriter killed and so he goes back that and this is what uh uh makes the wife um um want to go take a walk in the rain for an hour is that he tells her all this? That there's something suspicious, and and she appears to be you know shocked by this. That Mike's uh, death, the previous ghostwriter, might not have been an accident. And uh, and she goes walking in the rain, and when she comes back, that whole scene happens. So the next day, he go he's going to go back to the hotel, uh, regretting his his professional lapse and sleeping with the client's wife. Um, and he gets in this car that, um, you know, again, had been used by the previous ghostwriter. And since he had been driven back and forth before, he hasn't used this car yet, but he's using it now. And this is where it's a little bit of a stretch. You could call this divine help in our hero's journey. You know how we always have, um, divine help in the, in the hero's mission, but, um, he um, he gets in the car and he wants to go to the hotel and it keeps wanting to take him in a different direction, the uh, the car, the the GPS, and he's about to you know turn off the car and ignore it. He gets to the hotel. I think he's parked in front of it and he decides, oh, I'm going to follow the directions, see where this thing takes me, and it takes me it takes him to the house of uh, this professor, whom um, it turns out is in all these pictures, these early pictures with Lang back at Cambridge when he was just an actor. And, um, you know, he confronts this guy and shows him the pictures, and the guy says, oh, yeah, I didn't really know him. And there's, it, it's obvious that, that uh, everybody is overplaying the I didn't know this guy. And while this character, who's the one that's played by Tom Wilkinson, who's just awesome in everything, He's awesome in this too. Um, he's the guy who played uh, Cornwallis in The Patriot. Um, so uh, he's very dismissive of this ghostwriter of uh, Ewan McGregor. 
and he's trying to blow him off. And, you know, he's got a story that as a viewer, you don't really totally believe. And, um, of course, that's bolstered by the fact that as soon as this ghostwriter walks in his house, uh, the wife gets on the phone and you can overhear her saying, you know, this guy's here. He's just arrived. And she's telling somebody that this is a problem. So where we end up going with this story, and again, you know, I guess I didn't say it at the beginning, and I've spoiled quite a bit of this already, but I'm going to spoil the ending now. So uh, if you haven't watched the movie, stop the podcast, go watch the movie, come back. It's definitely worth watching. Um, it turns out that this that this um, Cambridge professor, part of academia, um, was recruited into the CIA in 1971 and that um, he was actually an, a CIA agent at the time the pictures were taken of um, of him and Lang together, even though he says, oh, yeah, I mean, I was in that play. I was in one play with him. We just happened to be there at the same time. I didn't really know him. But as a viewer, you don't really believe him, and I believe it's the director's intention that we don't believe totally, that this guy is definitely hiding something, and uh, McGregor is definitely on to something. The car has led him to this house. McGregor leaves the house and is immediately picked up and followed by, you know, the men in black in a black car type thing. And uh, he's, he then, you know, tries to lose him and he thinks he's successful. He gets to the ferry and he kind of, he, he hides behind a semi before driving his car onto the ferry to make sure these guys don't catch up to him. Then he gets on the ferry and while he's on it, he sees that this car pulls up at the gate after the ferries, you know, after the gates closed. And of course these guys have the pull to get the gate open and now they're on the ferry with him. And he runs out of, grabs his manuscript and a suitcase, runs upstairs on the ferry. These guys are pursuing him. They get to his car. He's not in it. And they start, one each starts going up the stairs on each side of the ferry. So he's in a lot of trouble right now. He's going to end up the same way as the first ghost writer. And apparently for the same reason, after having visited um, uh, this character and the character's name that Tom Wilkinson plays um, is, uh, what is it? I'm looking it up. Paul Emmett. That's right. So he's professor, uh, Paul Emmett, now at Harvard Law School, but previously at Cambridge, um, and whom we suspect has some more involvement in something to do with Adam Lang's prime ministership than anybody knows, and also that you know these people, the they in this film, uh, don't want anyone to know. So... Um, McGregor eventually kind of um, eludes these people by jumping off the ferry right before it leaves, leaving the two agents on the ferry. And he goes to a hotel and he eventually calls a phone number on the back of one of the photographs that the previous ghost writer left behind. And it turns out to be like the cell phone of this Reichert guy, the cabinet member who has publicly accused Lang. And so he, they set up a meeting. He has a meeting with Reichardt. And um, 
Reichard is, you know, trying to now enlist him in his in his to help him in bringing Lang down and getting him into the international criminal court. Of course, Ewan McGregor's character wants no part of this. And at one point he says, look, he's just going to stay in the United States. And, uh, and um, you know, get a citizenship here and thumb his nose at all you people anyway. Um, so um, this Reichardt, though, then comes out and it turns out he's been recording all of their conversations and he blackmails McGregor into doing his bidding. And it kind of reminded me this one little part of it where Reichert is, you know, supposedly on the, the good side in this book, or at least he's opposed to the, to the guy who might be a bad guy, but um, like he ends up being a bad guy. And I was thinking of the writer in a clockwork orange who uh, uses Alex to, um, you know, bring down the existing government. But of course he's, He's going to kill Alex to do that. Uh, and of course, he has good reason to in A Clockwork Orange because Alex had previously crippled him and raped his wife and all this other stuff. But it just kind of reminded me of, of, uh, of the same kind of thing. Like, there are no good guys. These are all political Machiavellian operatives. Um, so uh, there there has been this running thing about the manuscript and, and the... Um, this Reichardt character wants to see it uh, immediately when they meet. And uh, he says, oh, it's, it's right in the beginning. Like there's this, this constant reference to that. There's some secret at the beginning of the manuscript. And of course, the beginning of the manuscript has like the Lang family tree and the Langs or Scots and all this stuff that he says it's a good cure for insomnia, the beginning of the, of the original manuscript. Um, but Reichert looks at it and then, um, you know, he's satisfied. And again, he, he recruits, uh, McGregor. And then while they're meeting, Lang calls McGregor and says that we're going to pick you up at this, uh, airport on Martha's Vineyard, um, or on the mainland across from Martha's Vineyard, um, because, uh, we, we got to keep working on the book. So uh, he gets on the plane, the private jet, with uh, Adam Lang, former prime minister. Uh, Kim Cattrall and the staff are there. Um, and he is, um, he confronts Lang with all this. He says, you know, I went to Paul Emmett's house. I know he was a member of the CIA when, you know, he, you, he got you into politics when you were at Cambridge. He was your handler or whatever you call it in these things. And basically what he's alleging is that a prime minister of England had been a tool of the CIA during um, the war on terror, that he hadn't been representing the interests of the British people, that he had been doing the bidding of the American deep state. Um, which, you know, I don't know. This is if this is a secret or not. It seems like kind of an open secret. I, I, you know, I guess that uh, they call it the special relationship between uh, Washington and uh, Westminster. Uh, but uh, you know, um, of course, they were allies during the war on terror, and there wasn't a single thing that the United States would have wanted the British government to do that the British government didn't do. 
So this this movie is suggesting that the reason for that wasn't that the prime minister representing the British people was independently in favor of this, but that he was actually just being handled uh, as a um, asset of the CIA. So that would be, you know, rather important and information no one would want to get out. I just, you know, again, you got to kind of suspend disbelief because, you know, I just don't think that there's that much divergence between the British government and the United States where they would need to try to control the prime minister uh, this way. Uh, not that the CIA doesn't do that with the heads of other states. Um, but that, that's the plot so far. Lang denies it all. Uh, and he basically gives the same story about this Paul Emmett that, um, that Emmett gave. Like, I hardly knew the guy, you know, yeah, I posed for a few pictures with him, uh, but that's it. So um, they get off the plane and Lang gets assassinated. And he gets assassinated, of course, by a lone nut. And this lone nut, I didn't mention it before, has appeared previously in the movie asking where um, Adam Lang was. And, of course, uh, Ewan McGregor says, I have no idea, doesn't, doesn't admit he's working for him. He, he's like back at the time when he's at the hotel, before all the reporters got there, this guy shows up one night. And then it turns out that he was a soldier of 30 years and that his son was killed in the you know one of the wars, probably the Iraq War or Afga- Afghanistan, one of the two, that was started, um, you know, by what would have been George W. Bush. They don't name the American president in this, and of course, Adam Lang, who I think is supposed to be Tony Blair, has got a different name. But um, so this guy is like angry, very angry, and he turns out to be the guy who's standing on top of the roof in his army fatigues somehow with his assault rifle and uh and shoots uh the prime minister and he dies so the prime minister gets rubbed out they question mcgregor of course the fbi has him in there and um they take away his passport and you get the idea he's not you know he might be in some hot water here not like being involved in the um assassination but who knows he's a key witness and he was close he was the last person who had a meaningful conversation with the prime minister and now the prime minister's dead the former prime minister so um so all of a sudden his agent shows up and his agent has been somewhat comic relief throughout the movie and one of his catch lines has always been you know that uh, how lucky Ewan McGregor is to have him as an agent the agent shows up at his hotel room and gives him his passport back. Says they're not they're no longer interested in you, which they really don't have much uh, reason to be anyway. But it's starting to build up that there's something fishy about the agent uh, as well, and that's really never consummated much other than he's able to get you and McGregor this job, even though you and McGregor uh, has no political background, has never written about politics as far as we know. Um, but he gets the job to write a former prime minister's book. I certainly <laughs> like, I wouldn't get the job to write. Um, like, well, I had written a lot about politics for, uh, almost 10 years by the time I got my first ghostwriting job for not a politician, but somebody in, in the political arena. 
So that would be unlikely to happen. And it really only started to hit me near the end when he gets him his passport back. You're like, oh, well, that, this guy seems to have a lot of pull for a literary agent. Okay. So um, he's like, look, you, you got to finish the book now. I mean, this is going to be hot. Now, this part did seem realistic, you know, unfortunately. I never wrote for somebody posthumously, but uh, if somebody died, unfortunately, the way it works is we got to get this book out now <laughs> uh, because this guy is, this is going to be a huge bestseller, which, of course, it's implied it is. And then the movie wraps up with um, Ewan McGregor invited to the launch party. And he uh, he says that um, he's not used to being invited to launch parties. I actually was invited to all the ones of the books I um, uh, worked on. In fact, the one where I would have met the highest profile people. Uh, one of the reasons I started driving instead of flying to New York when I used to travel for business was because for the second time in a row, I missed meetings because our wonderfully federally regulated airline system couldn't seem to get me from Buffalo to the other end of the state of New York. Like any time that day, twice in a row where I, I missed meetings. And then the second one, I had work meetings all day and I had the launch party at night in New York and I didn't end up going where I would have met. Well, I, I won't say, but uh, very um, high, high, profile people anyway um so uh he goes to the launch party and da, 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 the the wife is making a speech you know the the cover speech you know doesn't show her true feelings like she was ready to divorce him because of kim cattrall but uh she's saying you know what a great voice he had and glad it'll be heard one last time with the book and forevermore and thank you to all these people and all of a sudden it dawns on um, McGregor, somebody had made a comment. They kept referring to the beginning of the book having some secret. And then somebody had not said the beginning, but the beginnings. And again, this is kind of a stretch. But all of a sudden, he runs into a room and pulls out the manuscript that he had brought to the launch party. He was, he was going to actually give it to Kim Cattrall, her character. Uh, who's very broken up because she was the woman in this guy's life, not the wife. But um, he runs back and reads like the the beginning word of each paragraph that's about, you know, his family and all that. And it turns out that if you read the first word of each paragraph, it says that um, Rose was recruited as an agent of the CIA in some early period. So all this time... It wasn't that Paul Emmett, the uh, the uh, Harvard guy, but it was it was his own wife who was his CIA handler, and apparently he didn't even know this, um, and and she, that's why it was important during that scene earlier on, when she says he used to take my advice on everything, and he no longer does, so you're left wondering, well, was she part of having him rubbed off, or were people above her? knowing that they no longer had someone on the inside on this guy. Somebody wanted him dead besides the lone nut, obviously. Um, maybe the lone nut was allowed to come through. And that's that's where a lot of these conspiracy theories fall apart, where they try to, you know, 
the so-called deep state allows some, like they allowed the the underwear bomber to go through because they thought they could tail him and and you know arrest more people later. And of course, they just bumbled that because he had the bomb on him and they didn't know. Of course, it didn't go off because he was an idiot. But uh, whatever. So um, McGregor now realizes, you know, I have this manuscript that has the proof. And he runs out of the launch party with it, and he tries to get a cab, and the cab goes by. And um, so here we have the hero's journey, right? He went to the other world. He got the golden fleece or the golden harp or whatever, right? And he brought it back to the real world, and now he has this proof that the CIA ran a prime minister of England and so that's the boon he's bringing back to save the people. And um, when he can't get a cab on the street outside New York, he starts running up the street. It's a side street, but still, like, something you don't usually do. And then all of a sudden, like, this car that's going coming up behind him speeds up. And off camera, you hear, like, a commotion. And it's evident that the car has run him down in the street. And all the pages of the manuscript start flying down the street, you know, scattered to the wind, so to speak. And so nobody's going to find out what the manuscript said. And uh, that's the end of the movie. So a good noir thriller where it turns out there are no good characters, right? (laughs) Um, For me, it's fuzzy if there's any right and wrong here other than, you know, the whole war on terror was wrong in my own personal opinion, but that's not necessarily the view of the writer, uh, but certainly that the the way it was carried out was wrong, and they're focusing on the civil liberties abuses and the human rights abuses of uh, people captured, and um, and the people aren't going to be saved from this. The deep state, so to speak, is going to get away with it, and this is you know we're being shown that noir is about the dark side of humanity. Uh, so, um, that's the end of the film. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about being the ghostwriter. I guess the only, the last thing I'll say on the ghostwriting thing is that, uh, the, the procedure is somewhat accurate and a lot of ghostwriting projects, you're going to interview the author of the book, you know, for hours and hours if you can. And, uh, and then you're going to rewrite the transcripts of those conversations into prose as if the author just sat down and wrote it. Okay. My experience is there's no way you're getting in the room with this person, much less living at his house or her house. Um, You're always fighting for access. And if you get, you know, usually you have to write about a 70,000 word book. That'll come out to 300 pages or whatever. And that's the standard nonfiction hardcover stuff that I wrote. Um, and out of interviews, I, I might've got 10,000 words, right? <laughs> Even after I rewrote them. So then you're always like, well, how do I write the rest of the book? So that's usually on you. Um, you know, the one, the one author I had was constantly sending news stories and uh, that helped. It's like, well, this is what he cares about. And I know what he'd have to say about these things. So I'll write down what I think he'd have to say about it. Uh, another one would give just kind of general directions. 
Some things were completely original, but when I'm writing completely original, um, I have to be writing from their mindset, not mine. In fact, on one project, which was a book about political commentary, I took a position for the author that I later realized was the opposite of his position. And I luckily it dawned on me and pretty close to the end, I went back and changed all that and said, Oh, Oh, oh there was a passage in here. I, I fixed it. So if you got an earlier version, don't worry about that. <laughs> I, you know, it was like the exact opposite position that this person actually held. So, um, and that's the one thing my red line was always, I won't write a pro war book. I won't write Liz Cheney's book. Not that it's ever been offered to me, but, um, just about anything else I'm, I'm okay with, you know, it's a job. Um, and, uh, the people I meet, like, as I said, we're all very, very nice people, nice people to work with, uh, genuinely good people, genuinely generous people, even though they're very wealthy. I know that's like the opposite of what everybody is told. Uh, they were very generous with, with me. Um, and, uh, and we didn't always agree on everything on politics, but, uh, you know, I did my best to represent their views. So uh, I guess I'll leave it there. The Ghost Rider is definitely worth watching. Again, a bit of a stretch in places. Acting is good. Ewan McGregor's great. It's great to see him play somebody besides Obi-Wan Kenobi in those god-awful Star Wars movies uh, where he was good, but the movie was maybe not. Um, and, uh, of course, Tom Wilkinson's always good. Pierce Bronson, he was great in this. Uh, the woman who played the wife, I should uh, call her out. Some of her, again, the part and some of the stuff that her character does is a little far-fetched, but um, she plays the part very well, and um, you you don't, it, it does come off as a surprise at the end that she's the handler, which of course is the idea of the film is to surprise you at the end. So she does a good job. Uh, I didn't remember that I had seen her in a few other movies, um, but I had, um, she was in the sixth sense and, uh, which I saw. And I think that's the only one she's been in that I saw. I never saw the postman and I'm not sure I'm interested in seeing it, but, um, she does a great job. Um, and that'll do, that'll about do it. So I, uh, encourage you to give, uh, the ghost writer a, ch- uh, uh, a chance, uh, good little, uh, you know, neo-noir thriller and think of your boy, Tom here on Tom Mullen talks movies that, uh, there's some little bit of, uh, your humble host in the main character. And, uh, hopefully I don't end up, uh, sharing his fate. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm not in love. Don't tell me.